You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. Throughout the pandemic, we've been called to stay at home during times of viral outbreaks to reduce transmission of the coronavirus. But what are the broader politics of home and hidden assumptions in this? How does such a simple message hide the thousands in housing insecurity, more broadly abandoned by the government and by injustice? How does home fit into the reality Australia is on unceded Indigenous land that settlers like myself are complicit in. This week we hear from Ariko Walu, a Gunai, Gunditjmara and Japarong sovereign, community activator and member of the LGBTIQ community. They talk about the politics of home in the pandemic, including the impacts of restrictions and the politics of First Nations regeneration, with the Wern of Kanak Land Back Fundraiser Initiative setting up a base for revival. I asked them first whether, given experiences of housing insecurity, did the stay-at-home message ring somewhat hollow? Personally, I became homeless in the first part of the lockdown um, and I guess saw um, firsthand um, what was happening on the ground, um, living in supported accommodation as, um, yeah... I guess it was it was a um, a big eye opener to um, as I've been advocating um, for many of my community members um, through homelessness and um, yeah just other types of restrictions prior to COVID lockdown um, that were you know just oppression related um, being Aboriginal. Um, yeah, it, um, the first, I think even just in terms of housing, um, prior to that, I was living in, um, private housing for a good while and, um, yeah, wasn't able to, to continue to work, um, after becoming disabled four years ago. So that um, really affected me. I'd been on the um, housing waiting list for 15 years and yet to be um, housed in permanent housing. Um, This is just a regular, normal story for um, black followers in my community. Like, um, there's the, the statistics of homelessness within Aboriginal community is probably a lot higher than what's um recorded as a lot of us don't even participate in the census um or we don't actually seek help from organizations so only a minority of um people in our community that need um help will actually go and seek help um so it's not a very good um yeah the statistics are not very um, they're a lot more blown out, I guess. And that was something that, um, I was also able to see through, um, 
through First Nations Mutual Aid um, and being a support system, um, being a direct phone line to over 300 people mm-hmm. who many were suffering homelessness. Um, some people didn't even have a phone, still don't have a phone. Women on the line. Yeah, you've already touched on connected to housing is the assumption that everyone has access to basic needs and services or has trust in the government that hasn't failed them. Would you want to talk more about the mutual aid, the Blackfell First Nations mutual aid project you're involved in? So I just started up a Facebook um, group for Aboriginal people to um, be able to share information um a lot of um yeah for myself to post resources and the other um group members um finding other types of assistance that are available at the time um yeah just sharing resources information i guess just having that platform for people to be able to reach out to assist each other yeah. yeah, cool. Um, yeah, such awesome work. In terms of picking up some more about the policing, the response policing, the pandemic, and I was tied to stay at home. I was like, stay at home and then rule breakers will be policed. Um, how has the increased police powers, everything from curfews to huge fines, affected you and played out in terms of oppression and violence for communities you're a part of? Um, I think we're yet to get a good scope of that. I'm wanting to do an evaluation um, of what we actually went through um, next month or the week, month after. Um, I think from what I was, the feedback that I was able to get um, from the uh, 350 people that we assisted, um, it was... Um, the, yeah, the, being restricted, I guess, in our movements, um, going back to country, attending funerals, which was a, a huge um, one. I think, I don't believe I know of any mob that actually received any fines for breaking those, those bigger um, rules of, you know, numbers at funerals, um, gatherings and... Um, I don't know of of any um, at the moment but yeah like I said there's there's things that are still coming out and people are talking about it or some people are just trying to forget that it ever happened Um, yeah I think the repercussions of of that are still yet to arise Um, I know on the ground here in Richmond um, police um, were um and still are, I mean, I guess it's a hot spot for, um, for police brutality, um, where I live right now and we experience, um, harassment of police pretty often, um, whether it be, um, followed, um, by them in the cars or, um, just witnessing the brutality on the street that they, um, how they treat homeless people um, and um, 
yeah, just vulnerable people of, um, at risk of police brutality here on the ground um, from what I've seen with my own eyes. Um, but that's also not that much different to what we've been experiencing prior to um, COVID restrictions. Like this is something that we expect, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Like on that, I guess, like a lot of like government abandonment and systemic failures, none of that really surprises you. And I guess it's more of the same. Would you say that? Yeah, I think, yeah, like it, it, I mean, you speak to any black fella that's on the street and they will tell you like it's, um, you know, there's, there was some changes and it was harder for some people, um, better for some people who don't actually have access to housing, who did were able to get supported accommodation um but also um being policed in a different way i guess is something that you'll probably hear hear about um but the brutality is probably um the same worse i don't know i think um yeah, I don't think it's any different to how we're being treated in other times. Yeah. Um, so switching to a diff- sort of different area, in terms of home, many people already, before the pandemic, were very familiar with, like, working from home and staying at home. Um, many chronically ill and disabled people have lots of experience with that and also experience some greater accessibility as services and events catered to non-disabled people now experiencing being at home for long periods. Did you experience any changes in terms of that? Um, yeah, I think some things were definitely became a bit more accessible um, with online. Although um, for me, I um, am a, I'm a people person, so I'm able to pick up communications better on a face-to-face um situation rather than online or video i really personally struggle with that um it doesn't translate the same for me myself personally but i think that a lot of friends of mine were very um relieved by the increase of accessibility through screens i think physically um I was, you know, able to attend a lot more events, mm-hmm. um, but the the um, the interaction and the feeling and all of those things that you get from being in a at a live event is wasn't translated. So I don't know. I guess it was some things were good and some things were not so good. But I definitely missed seeing people. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and interacting pe- with people face to face. But yeah, um, I think being able to attend events whilst laying on my couch was, you know, convenient for someone like myself who's physically disabled. Yeah, for sure. And definitely the aspects of the pandemic 
yeah pretty difficult around having to be apart physically um in terms of picking up again you mentioned a bit about policing but a bit about turning now to more borders and mental health there was a lot of assumptions around what's considered essential work or movement if you had like a job you'd be able to cross from metro melbourne to regional victoria during the um the extended extended like stage four lockdown last year um how did like those assumptions about what's considered essential affect you in terms of borders and mental health and where you could be um yeah i think um a lot of the phone conversations um during the lockdowns um with mob from around the state and melbourne um a lot of the the issues that we were facing was um isolation and um the inability to go back to country where we um we're usually able to reset ourselves and um have some kind of um remedy i think um yeah that was really difficult i just am remembering like um an elder that was um you know just wanted to go home to her country and her grandchildren were on the other side of the city at, you know well and truly out of that 5k radius and um she was just very lonely and she was starting to give up and um yeah it really breaks my heart thinking about how um you know how compromised um her emotional well-being um was at that stage at those stages and how i noticed um that with each call um mm. and you know she was you know she was grateful to receive um food you know um from us and other assistance from us because it was i don't know i guess she was she had given us feedback that it was keeping her going um that someone was thinking about her and she had some kind of physical not physical she had some kind of contact with the community um with other mob and um i guess i was able to resonate that issue with her that she was restricted from going home and i think it made it all the more personable to um receive that type of mutual aid that assistance from another black fella um who was able to resonate and understand exactly where that elder was coming from and other people were um were coming from and i think being restricted from funerals was the biggest heartache for our people you're listening to erika walu speaking on some of the politics of home and impacts of government responses in the pandemic Erika Walu is a Gunai, Gunachamara and Jabarong sovereign, community activator and member of the LGBTIQ community. You're listening to Women on the Line, a feminist current affairs program highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices broadcast on the community radio network. Next, hear more from Erika, moving away from discussion of systemic injustice to their work on the Wern of Kanak Land Back Initiative and an upcoming event, Landfest. Can we talk about Wern of Kanak? Land back initiative that you've launched last year. 
Um, yeah, so Warren of Canuck means um, house of digging stick. Warren is um, uh, our traditional houses that we made out of the Kulaw, which the, is the lava stone. Um, we had permanent huts um, that could fit up to 50 people inside. And, yeah, we had villages of, um, of these Warrens, these houses, um, which were in the early 1800s um, smashed down and demolished. Um, later they repurposed this, the Kulaw, the stone, to build um, fences and churches and, um, yeah, other, their own structures, I guess. Um, Port Ferries um, is one significant place that... Um, of my people that have um, churches built out of the Kulaw that were previously, um, you know, held the sh were made up the structure of the Warren, and the Canuck is the digging stick, which is, um, which is what um, our people, our women use to um, to dig yams, to build, use them as, you know, multi-purpose gardening tools um, but mostly we spent um, our time in the in the fields of the of the Punyan or the Murnong digging up um, our staple food so um, this is something that I'm wanting to get back to and um, yeah this is something that um, I guess it's kind of been pushed and born out of uh, you know providing food through mutual aid um knowing that you know the food is you know it's it's substantial but it's not average it's not nutritious to the original body and the original soul and i think packing those boxes of food you know every week um with all of these colonized items of food you know, full of sugar and salt, unsaturated, you know, polysaturated, this and, um, you know, we have a, we have heart disease and, and diabetes in our community. That's our biggest killer. Um, so there's many issues, um, that kind of funnel into this initiative of Warren of Canuck. It's also, um, you know, it's food justice, it's land justice, it's sovereignty, it's, um, you know, it's a climate remedy. Yeah, the land has, has been destroyed for a very long time um, and trampled, you know. The soil here is completely destroyed um, in most parts of this country and um, that, was, that destruction was done pretty early on in the 1800s. I'm wanting to, um, you know, have an opportunity to regenerate a piece of land or pieces of land um, on my grandmother's country um, which is Japarang country and Gundij Mara country from Gary Word the Grampians all the way down to Portland and Warrnambool um, all to the Otways um, yeah I believe that this is you know a remedy to invasion day 
it's a remedy to colonisation, it's a remedy to colonial violence, systemic government violence, um, it's a remedy to the white patriarchy, um, to capitalism. It's a remedy, it's the remedy that um, we all need. We need land back. Um, we need to have control of our lives. We need our own food. We need to nourish our souls and our bodies with our own food. Um, and we need to we need to run it. So um, yeah, I guess this is a, you know it's a self-determined initiative. Myself and um, yeah, with the support of um, other black queers, mostly my favourite people to work with and other queer people. Um, yeah, it's 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 very um, it's in the embryo stage of this initiative of this idea um so we'll see i guess we'll see where it goes from from this point onwards we've been raising money since november and we're nearly up to thirty thousand dollars which is pretty amazing um it's gaining a lot of momentum um a lot of people are supporting it and yeah, I'm just really humbled that people are on board with it and they can see that. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs>
knack is about a bit and imagining a different future, what would home mean to you in terms of what Werner Kanak embodies and the f- a different future? Werner f- Kanak is, um, I guess it's a 10-year plan. Um, I'm wanting to regenerate um, the land and waters of whatever land I'm able to buy. Um at this stage, there's no big plan to live there permanently, but I am wanting to set up a residency space to be able to bring um, people in, um, refugees, asylum seekers, queer community, um, community with disabilities. Yeah, just cre- being able to create a, a residency space for people to come and do land back residencies and I guess we'll unfold that as we go along um that will look like gardening um and cultural practices um in terms of home um it's always been my home regardless of whether I own it or not um on a piece of paper but um I think being able to go back to a piece of land um, and have cultural practices, being able to sing and dance on country is um, something that we need to be able to do to honour the plants and the animals in that space. I think that's, that's what's going to make it more homely for us as the original peoples of the land. You are listening to Erika Walu, Gunai Gundachamara and Japarong Sovereign, community activator and member of the LGBTI community. They were talking about Land Backfest, Cultivate, Activate, Regenerate, being held 12 to 6pm on the 23rd of January at the Atherton Gardens Estate in Fitzroy, Melbourne, which you can find a link to in the Women on the Line podcast notes on the 3CR website. Also there, you can find a link to the Learn of Kanak Land Back Initiative, GoFundMe, or enter the initiative into your search engine. You can also follow Learn of Kanak on their Instagram, and also check out First Nations Mutual Aid Vic on Instagram as well while you're there. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne on Kulin Nation's land and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The theme music for Women on the Line was produced by Ripley Kavara. I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.